Good morning, MCC. Such a pleasure to be back. Um, I've been looking forward to coming back here, and I'm really grateful that you could have me back. If there's any of you that don't know me, my name is Bob, a theology student at a Tokyo Christian University. I'm in my third year right now. I'm here today with my lovely bride-to-be, and we're so, so grateful to be here. Lovely to see you all. Let's just say a brief prayer. Father, we're grateful that we can gather around your word to hear you speak. Thank you, Lord, for the power and presence of your Holy Spirit that is very real and that is able to convict our hearts and to speak to our minds and to order us in the way that we should go. Uh, may you be glorified. May all the glory go to you, O God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, today we are in the book of Philippians chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. That's Philippians chapter 1 and verses 27 through 30. If you don't have your Bibles, it's fine. I will read the text uh, for us. And so we're in the book of Philippians. You might already know this about Philippians, but the Apostle Paul, when he's penning this, he is in prison. We're not sure which of his imprisonments this was, but he's in prison and he's facing this possible trial. And so he's in very uncomfortable and uncertain and difficult circumstances. And yet, he's still able to think about the spiritual well-being of other Christians. And this always inspires me and encourages me about the Apostle Paul, that he can be in these uncomfortable situations, yet he's still able to think about others. Now, this past week, uh, I had a friend of mine, I really consider her an older sister, and so she used to be at my university, Tokyo Christian University. Uh, however, this past week, uh, she'd been uh, hospitalized with a very sensitive medical condition, and she was in hospital. And so she heard about me and Keiko planning to get married, and so she decided to call me up from hospital. And so she's been married for several years, and so she called me up and was just encouraging me and giving me all this elderly sister wisdom about marriage and, you know, saying it's a beautiful thing. Of course, there are challenges. It can be very difficult sometimes. But she said to me in her own words, she said, if you stay on your knees, if you're prayerful, there is nothing that God cannot get you through. And I was really encouraged. Even as she was speaking, I had this very real sense of God's presence. And she spoke to me for about an hour and some minutes. And so I, I thought of that and I said to myself, how many of us are able to be in situations like she was where we're, we're uncomfortable, we were in pain, and she'd been going through several blood tests, and yet she's still able to think of someone else and pray for them and encourage them. And that speaks to me of spiritual maturity. And it's exactly what the Apostle Paul is doing here as well. He's in difficult circumstances, and yet he's thinking of the Philippian Christians. Uh, one thing that the Apostle Paul does in the text, as we will see, is that he encourages the Christians in Philippi to live as citizens of heaven. The Apostle Paul had actually helped to plant and set up the church in Philippi, so he had a close relationship with them. And the church in Philippi was actually a really good church. And obviously, the Apostle Paul wants it to stay this way. 
And so he's encouraging them to live as citizens of heaven. And my prayer is that we'll be able to learn and pick something from his ideas as well. A very basic definition of a citizen will tell us that a citizen is a person that legally belongs to a certain country. So for example, me, I am a citizen of Zambia. I hold a Zambian passport. I legally belong to the country of Zambia. And all of us here uh, legally belong to a certain country. We hold passports belonging to particular countries. And as believers in Jesus, Scripture tells us that we are citizens of heaven. Jesus died for us to legally purchase us, to buy us back, and he has made us citizens of heaven. And so there is a very real sense in which here on earth, we're merely pilgrims. We're just passing through heaven is our ultimate home. And so we can live with a sense of hope. Philippians chapter 3 and verses 20, you don't have to turn there, but you can. It speaks to us of this reality of being citizens of heaven. It says in Philippians 3.20, But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return from there. So as believers, we're citizens of heaven. One thing about citizens is that generally speaking, in general, as citizens belonging to a particular country usually have certain marks, certain characteristics, certain features that in a general sense help us identify that, okay, this person is a citizen of this particular country. So these marks or these characteristics or these features, if you will, could be an accent, for example, the American accent or the English accent, or if you're from Africa like me, the Nigerian accent is very distinct. So we're able to tell, okay, this person has this characteristic or this mark, they must be from Nigeria. And so sometimes it's a person's way of dress. That's a mark or a characteristic or a feature. It could even be their skin tone that helps identify that, okay, probably this individual belongs to this particular country. So in a general sense, there are usually marks or characteristics or features that help us identify where an individual belongs in terms of citizenship. I remember uh, several years ago, back in Zambia, I had bumped into a young lady who had had the opportunity uh, to travel in several countries around the world. She'd been to China, she'd been to Europe, she'd been to Germany, she'd been in the Netherlands as well. It was just part of her work, part of her job required her to travel around the world. And so in between one of these international trips that she had, I remember she went out and bought this very expensive but beautiful looking shirt that had embroidered into it the colors of the Zambian flag. And I said to her, it's, it's a beautiful shirt, it's a lovely shirt, but I wouldn't pay that much money for a shirt, even though it's really beautiful, but why did you buy it? And so her response to me was that, when I go to these international meetings, people are not always able to tell where I come from. They're not able to really pinpoint where my citizenship is. And so I bought this beautiful shirt 
with the Zambian flag embroidered into it to make it easy for people to know where I come from. So I said, okay, that's, that's really interesting. That makes sense. And so she wanted to make it easy for people to identify her and to place her. And we'll see in our text for today that the Apostle Paul will give us certain marks, certain features, certain characteristics that help identify us as citizens of heaven. And I hope we can apply those to our lives. So I'll ask us to turn to Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30. If you don't have your Bible, it's fine. I will read it. Beginning from verse 27, I'm reading from the NIV. It says, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. 28 says, don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. Why? This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. Verse 30 says, we are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of it. That brings us to the end of our reading. And so the first characteristic, the first mark that I want us to notice from our text is conduct or Christian conduct. The Apostle Paul says in verse 27, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Now, this Greek word that's translated here as conduct, I won't even try to pronounce it, so let's not go there. But this Greek word that's translated as conduct has to do with behavior. And scholars point out how the particular word that the Apostle Paul uses here is used only twice in the New Testament. Once in Acts 23 and verses 1, and the second place it's used is right here in our text for today. And so there is a very particular reason why Paul chooses to use this word here. And it becomes more important when we realize that this word is different from the word that's generally used in the New Testament to talk about conduct and behavior. The Greek word that's normally used, peripatein, has to do with how a person walks about day by day. So it's kind of like in a general sense. But the word that Paul uses here not only talks about conduct and behavior, but scholars say it more specifically or more accurately speaks about the conduct and behavior of citizenship. And so there is something that the Apostle Paul is trying to communicate to the Philippian Christians. Now we need to think about something. The city of Philippi 
was a Roman colony. And so a city could become a Roman colony in two ways back in those days. At first, the Roman Empire would set up these locations and have veteran soldiers or retired soldiers go and settle in those areas and they would be given citizenship and those areas would become colonies. So that's one way that a city could become a colony. The other way was that a city could become a colony, a Roman colony, if it was loyal to the Roman Empire. So the characteristic thing about these colonies was their loyalty to Rome. And so there was a sense in which the citizens of these colonies wanted to hold on to their Roman ties. They wanted to identify as being Roman. They wanted to hold on to the Roman way of dress, the Roman way of speaking, the Roman way of life. They didn't necessarily want to allow in outside influences. And so this is probably the reason why the Apostle Paul chooses to use this particular word to speak about the conduct and behavior of citizenship. He's trying to remind the Philippian Christians that even though they're in a Roman colony, their real citizenship is in heaven. And so we need that reminder too. Very often, we can get carried away with the influences of the world around us. We begin to adopt the values of the world around us. We begin to adopt the mindset of the world around us and forget that our real citizenship is in fact in heaven. And so as believers in Jesus, we're to maintain these close ties with heaven. We are to avoid the negative influences of the world around us. We are to walk in love, which is characteristic of citizens of heaven. We are to be willing to forgive as citizens of heaven. We are to live lives of worship to Jesus as citizens of heaven. My point is we are to strive to live as citizens of heaven in every area of our lives. Second Peter chapter three and verses 10 through 13. I will read it for us and it provides a good picture of what this kind of living, living as citizens of heaven looks like. It says in second Peter chapter three and from verses 10, but the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire. And the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Verse 11 says, since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth, he has promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. Verse 14 says, and so dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. Now, moving on to the second mark of citizens of heaven from our text, and this is honoring the gospel or honoring the good news about the message of Jesus. 
Uh, we get this idea from the word worthy that's in our text in Philippians for today. It says in verse 27, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Now, this word worthy means to fit or to correspond or to be suitable. And so we're being instructed to walk out our lives in a way that fits the good news of the message of Jesus. If a person professes the gospel, then he is to live worthy of the gospel. His conduct and his behavior should fit this good news that he professes. One scholar points out how this is like a picture of clothing. We often say that a piece of clothing suits someone or it fits someone really well. What we mean when we say that is a person looks or their personality fits what they're putting on. And so it's the same way, it's the same idea with this gospel of Jesus that we profess. We are to put on the good news. We are to wear the good news. We are to embody the good news of Jesus Christ. We are to make the good news attractive to the people that look at us and see us. And so the question here is, when people look at us, do they see something of the good news of Jesus that we're putting on? Do they see something of his mercy? Do they see something of his character? Do they see something of his patience, of his forgiveness? Do they see something of his love? Or do people look at us and see a spirit of envy, a spirit of anger, a spirit of unforgiveness? Do people look at us and say, well, if that person's going to heaven, then we're all going to heaven. The point is people are to see uh, effects of this good news of the message of Jesus that we profess. Colossians chapter 3 and verses 12 to 14 paints a picture of what this looks like. And I will read that for us. That's Colossians 3 and verses 12 through 14. It says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And so our behavior or our conduct is to be fitting of the gospel, this good news, this message of Jesus that we profess. Now, moving on to the third mark, the third characteristic of citizens of heaven, and this is standing fast as found from our text. In verse 27, at the end or the second half of verse 27, the apostle says, then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Other versions say with one spirit and one mind. 
And so the Apostle Paul says, whether I come and see you again or whether I only hear about you and don't get to see you, I want you to stand firm, to be one in spirit and one in mind. And people disagree on what this one in spirit means. Some people think it means uh, one in the spirit of unity. Other people say it's a one in the Holy Spirit. But you'll still be a Christian if you believe either view. The point is we are to be one in spirit and one in mind. So the Apostle Paul says, be one in mind, meaning that all members must have their minds on the same purpose. They must all be focused on the purpose of loving and serving Jesus. They must not be divided. If we look at our world today, everything is divided. The world is split up. There are divisions everywhere. Christian people of color, black and brown Christians, think that white Christians are not taking the race issue seriously enough. White Christians, people of color, black and brown Christians, are taking the race issue way too seriously. And so there's divisions even in the church. People are disagreeing. People are disagreeing on politics. I personally know people where one individual supports President Trump, the other person doesn't, and so they disagree. They won't speak to each other. Or if they do speak to each other, then they're arguing. You're not a Christian. No, you're not a Christian. And so there are divisions even in the church. However, our text instructs us that we are to strive to be one, one in mind and one in spirit. Within the church, we are to strive to be unified, to be of one heart, to be of one purpose, to be of one mind, loving and serving Jesus. So that when the world looks at us, they don't see a church that is divided, but a church that is united around the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1 and verses 10 says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. And so as citizens of heaven, we are not only to stand fast, but our text says we are to stand fast, striving together for the faith of the gospel, being one in mind and one in spirit. Going to the next part of this idea of standing fast, it says we're not only to stand fast being one in spirit and one in mind, but we're also to stand fast striving together for the gospel. The Greek word striving together has to do with athletics. And so it's a picture of a team working together and struggling together to get this good news of the message of Jesus out. And so I want us to be thinking of an American football team or the Japanese rugby team, a team that's working together, sweating together, struggling together, putting in all the energy they can to get the good news of Jesus out. Everyone is working together and everyone needs to be working together because we're aware that the opposition is real. And so the message of Jesus, in order for us to be able to get it out effectively, it needs all of us participating, all of us putting in our hearts, all of us putting in our effort to love and serve Jesus Christ and get this good news out. 1 Corinthians 15 and verses 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that uh, in the Lord your labor is not in vain. 
And so as citizens of heaven, we are to stand fast, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Finally, uh, the fourth mark of citizens of heaven is courage and fearlessness in the face of persecution. Being a believer in the world can be hard. Sometimes it will be exceedingly challenging. People will sometimes oppose you, not because you're mean and angry, but just because you love and serve Jesus. Uh, you may be opposed in your family. You may be opposed in your workplace. You may be opposed in your school. Christians at times, because they love and serve Jesus, will be avoided. They will be ridiculed. They will be ignored. They will be neglected. In serious instances, they might even be disowned and even martyred or put to death. The Apostle Paul uh, says in verse 28, don't be intimidated in any way by your adversaries. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of it. And so the Apostle Paul is very aware that there are times when believers in Jesus will face persecution. They will face hardship because of their love and commitment to Jesus. However, he gives us reasons why we are not to shrink back, why we are not to be intimidated. And very, very quickly, as I try to wrap the message up, I will look at why we're not to be intimidated or frustrated by persecution. The Apostle Paul points out that persecution is a sign to the persecutors that they are going to be destroyed. That's interesting because he says our persecution is a sign to them that they will be destroyed. Next, the Apostle Paul points out that persecution is a sign of salvation for us. It's not the only sign, but it's one sign. If a believer is able to stand and be faithful and keep loving and serving Jesus when they are being ridiculed, when they're being sidelined, when they're being persecuted, that is an indicator of the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And so persecution is a sign of salvation for us. Third, we're told from our text that, in fact, persecution for the believer is, in a sense, a privilege. Think of this. When you're persecuted, it's because you are representing the king of kings, the creator of the universe, the one who purchased your salvation. And so that is like a stamp of approval. People are rejecting you because of your love and your commitment to loving and serving the master of the universe. So there is a, a very real sense in which persecution for the believer is a privilege. The last reason the Apostle Paul points out that we're not to be intimidated is because he says people like him have set an example for us of what it looks like to be persecuted. He says to the believers in Philippi, you have seen my struggle in the past and you know that I'm still in the midst of it. He says to them, we're in the struggle together. You're not alone. And so he gives us a very good example of what it means to stand in the face of persecution, empowered by the Holy Spirit to be able to withstand difficulty. This past semester in school, one of the things that we've been doing is we've been studying uh, the martyrs, individuals that were put to death because of their faith in Jesus. 
one such individual was Polycarp. And it's said that he is the first individual outside of the New Testament who was put to death, who was killed for loving and serving Jesus. And so his is an eyewitness account. The story goes he was about 86 years of age when he was caught and told to deny his faith in Jesus. And when you read the account, you can tell that even the people that took him in or the official that took him in had a lot of respect for him. He was almost begging Polycarp to recant, just deny your faith in Jesus and I will set you free. A very famous thing that Polycarp is recorded to have said, he says, 86 years I have served him, meaning Jesus, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? And so they had no option but to decide to burn him alive. And the account goes, eventually, when those wicked men saw that his body could not be consumed by fire after they put him on fire, they commanded an executioner to pierce him with a dagger. When he did, such a great quantity of blood flowed that the fire was extinguished. The crowd was amazed at the difference between the unbelievers and the elect, of whom the great Polycarp was surely one. And so Polycarp is put on these flames. They realize his body is not burnt up. They stab him, and so much blood flows from his body that it puts out the fire. And his, his death was a testimony to the Christians in those times, and indeed, even to us today. And so my point is that history has given us great examples of believers standing in the face of persecution. Not only people like Paul, but individuals like Polycarp as well. And you and I might not be facing the exact level or degree of persecution that these individuals faced, but the point is if they were able to endure in the face of such hardship, then indeed the Holy Spirit can empower you and I to stand strong in the face of suffering, to stand strong in the face of ridicule and discouragement and frustration because history shows us that the Holy Spirit is able and powerful to help us withstand no matter what may come our way. Therefore, we have these great and wonderful examples to encourage us. As I bring this message to a close, I want to read from 1 Peter at chapter 4 and verses 12 through 14. It says there, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through, as if some strange thing were happening to you. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed for the glorious spirit of God rests upon you. And so brothers and sisters, scripture clearly shows us that empowered by the Holy Spirit, we can live our lives continually as citizens of heaven in spite of being pilgrims, in a sense, in spite of not being in our permanent home, as it were, we can still walk empowered by the Holy Spirit, representing the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in this world. And so as I closed, the marks that we looked at were Christian conduct. 
living worthy of the good news of Jesus, standing fast and striving together for the gospel, striving to be one in spirit and in mind. In spite of the divisions we see in the world, within the church, we are to strive to be unified around our service and love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And last but not least, uh, we are to be encouraged to be courageous and fearless in the face of persecution because we have the spirit of God to empower us and strengthen us even in the face of difficulty and persecution. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word, for the encouragement from the scriptures that reminds us that by your spirit, Lord, we can continue living as citizens of heaven. We have examples, Lord, from many individuals in scripture, not only the apostle Paul, but individuals like Polycarp too, that stood and withstood the test of time in the face of hardship. Thank you that we have been reminded that by your spirit, we can endure successfully till the end. Help us through the rest of this week, each and every one of us, whatever difficulties we might be facing in our lives. I pray that every individual here might be reminded, God, that whatever they may face, you are able to take them through. It's in Jesus' name we pray and thank you. Amen.